0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm a member of the church here at Ebby, and this is take 4,018 of uh, me trying to record this talk. Um, I think because of, yeah, I've really struggled with this one. I've turned it over and over and and struggled to know exactly how to land it. And I, I think part of why i found that so difficult is because sometimes the more obvious something is to you, the harder it is to explain. Like it's quite, if I say the sky is blue, that seems quite straightforward. Um, but if somebody asks me to break that down in detail and account for exactly why and how I know that the sky is blue over the course of 25 minutes, I don't know, I, it might start to struggle. And there, anyway, that's how I I've, I've felt about the, the subject this morning, um, which is uh living to please god and we're carrying on our series in one thessalonians and this morning we're in chapter four um so let's have a look at that if you want to find out what is as obvious to me as the sky being blue stick around and you can watch me try and explain it over 20 minutes um so if anyone in case anyone doesn't know one thessalonians is a letter um, a man called Paul to uh, one of the early churches in Thessalonica Um, and so they're just starting out in trying to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus uh, and he's writing to them to sort of help steer them Uh, and in chapter four he gets onto this topic of what it looks like to live to please God so let's read it. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Um, and I think maybe we should just clarify quickly to start with, um, I think the emphasis on that statement, uh, living to please God, I think the emphasis there is on the God bit of that sentence. So this isn't so much about living to please God, as opposed to, I don't know, how to live to anger God, or how to calm down or placate God. This isn't about in which way should you be interacting with God. This is about living to please whom? Living to please what? Living to please God, as opposed to living to please yourself, or your bank balance, or... Your family, maybe. I don't know. You could put almost anything at the end of that sentence. The um, point is that all of us, all the time, uh, in all of our decisions, we're living to please somebody or something. Um, and and Paul is, is drawing this distinction about what it looks like to please God as opposed to any of the other things that could be uh, at the end of that sentence. And so I think between that distinction and the fact that he talks about not like the pagans in their passionate lust, who don't know God. Um, and also the fact that he talks about doing this more and more. Um, I think it starts to uh, build up this picture of a, a sort of a tussle, um, that this is, this is an ongoing um, choice, that living to please God is living to please God as opposed to anything else. And it's something you can do more and more, or by implication, less and less. So it's not just a one and done, um, once you've accomplished this task, God is pleased, end of the story. Um, But actually there's this kind of tussle between living to please God and something else, living to please something else, Um, or what we might call the kingdom of God uh, and how things are. So basically, there's this, this is a very sophisticated diagram that I definitely spent more than 30 seconds <laughs> making, but it builds up this image of, yeah, this kind of um, pull that we have to keep making the choice to more and more um, live in the kingdom of God, and by implication, to resist the pull, I suppose, of the way things are. That there are these other things that want to have control that want to be the end of that sentence everything would like to be the master of us um, would like to be the thing that we live for and so maybe for the church in Thessalonica that was the passionate lust of the pagans uh, there might be all sorts of different things but there's this this tussle between uh, living more and more in the kingdom of God or living more and more in this other kingdom, if you want to call it that, Um, the pull of how things are versus the choice to continue to live to please God. And now, of course, if it's the pull of how things are, uh, that can manifest in different ways. There might be different dangers at different times. Um, So as we said, for the, the church at Thessalonica, it sounds like, the the thing that they're struggling with the the thing that is in danger of pulling them back towards this place of self-interest and away from this kingdom of God the, the kingdom of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself it seems like the particular thing that that is uh, pulling on them uh, is this question of sexual immorality um, uh, and so Paul is writing to warn them to say what you need to watch out for this because there's there's this um, Uh, This is in danger of of becoming um, uh, a current that can get hold of you and and can start pulling that tussle back away from the kingdom of God and towards the kingdom where you're interested in yourself. Note that when he's talking about it, he puts it in terms of no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. There is no place in the kingdom of God for taking advantage of a brother or sister, of anybody in a kingdom that is built on loving your neighbour as yourself You cannot take advantage of somebody. And so this seems to be something that specifically when it comes to sexual morality, the church at Thessalonica are struggling with, and there's a danger for them that they're they're feeling the pull uh, that will take them away from the kingdom of God and back towards how things are where the kingdom is of self-interest. It's interesting that he also says that there are certain things that they're not running into danger with, that they're doing quite well at. So about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So he, he says, there are other things that I'm not worried are having that pull effect on you, and actually you're, you're doing really well at, at living more and more in the kingdom of God. Even there, interestingly, he still urges them to do it more and more. So even these things that you're doing well at and are not a threat to you in, in an immediate way, still keep doing it more and more. But there are particular things that they struggle with and particular things that they don't. And you can assume that this letter might be different if it was to different churches. So there will be others where it might be flipped around, um, where he would say, I don't need to write to you about sexual morality, but I am worried about your love for one another. Um, and in so d- in different situations, different contexts, there will be different things that are that pull away from the kingdom of God towards the way things are. So yeah, while those can come out in different ways at different times and different situations, I think they always trace back to the same underlying problem, which is that it is all about this, this tension, this tussle, this pull between choosing more and more to live in the kingdom of God, to live in a way that pleases God, and the continual pull back towards self-interest, self-centeredness, um, and the powers of the world uh, and, and the way things are. Um, or, and one way I, I found helpful to sort of think about this, that we're going to look at this morning, um, the sort of two different ways those, those worlds behave is the difference between preparation and perpetuation. Um, so, perpetuation, things continuing, things carrying on in the same vein, keeping going. Uh, and I think those those two um, sides of that tussle behave in those two different ways. So the Kingdom of God, the action for the Kingdom of God is for us to prepare for it. Um, it is a, a a Kingdom that is coming, that will one day be fully realised. Uh, that we know roughly what it's going to look like and our job is to prepare ourselves for when that w- world is is fully here so that we are at home in it and we know how to live in that kingdom. So we prepare for the coming kingdom of good. As opposed to the way things are at the moment, the status quo, the, the powers that be, um, they want to perpetuate themselves uh, and, and so that, that constant pull is to is to, um keep things as they are to perpetuate uh, this self-interested drive so rather than preparing for a world uh, where we love god and love our neighbor we perpetuate a world where we are focused on ourselves and so i think that's the that's the ongoing um, struggle and the underlying problem no matter which way it comes out for the church in Thessalonica it might be one thing for another church it might be another um, is always some version of this tussle, and the question for us is, what is the danger for us? So for the, the church we're reading about today, in 1 Thessalonians, they had this danger of um, sexual immorality and taking advantage of each other, exploiting um, one another. Um, the question is, what's our version of that? What would be in our letter? What's the, the thing that... going on in the world at the moment that is trying to pull us back and, and, and is a temptation to live less and less in the kingdom of god and more and more for ourselves what's the danger for us what do we need to be watching out for and you could have millions of different answers to this i mean you could technically make a case for anything you could say if you wanted to i think the big danger the real temptation Uh, The ill of our time that is drawing us back to self-interest is this obsession with um, drinking out of paper cups instead of bone china mugs um, or eating off uh, slates instead of plates. Where's the proper crockery? (laughs) Um, Or it might be that you say, um, actually, your instinctive answer is the danger for us is exactly the same. As it was for the church of Thessalonica, actually our society is uh, rife with sexual immorality and people sleeping around and, and that is the, that's the big thing that is pulling us back towards self-centeredness and selfishness and taking us away from the kingdom of God, or anything else you could you could try and, and think uh, anything might be the answer to that question for you. I don't know part of what's difficult about doing this this morning is I don't know what your instinctive answer is. But I do think that often uh, we're drawn to um, the ones that are convenient for us when we're thinking about this question. When we're thinking about what do I need to change in order to live to please God? What's the thing I need to resist in order to live my life more in the kingdom of God? I think we often go for the ones that are convenient for us. Because they require less of us, because they're the ones that we don't have to fix in ourselves. So for example, I'd be pretty happy if I was really persuaded that um, the biggest danger for us was people sleeping around and having too many sexual partners because I've been married for more than half of my life. I've only ever slept with one person. If that is the big danger, if that's the big dividing line, if that's the thing we've got to watch out for, that's great, I don't have to change anything. I'm already. Uh, fine. (laughs) And so I think often we do get drawn towards saying these are the big dangers, the ones that they're doing, not the the ones that require anything of me, Um, and actually I think those can often be a distraction from the real big dangers because they are the ones that require us to fix ourselves. Uh, And I think in our world at the moment, there are some really screamingly obvious uh, dangers. There are some really strong forces that are trying to pull our world and our society back towards self-interest and away from love of God and love of neighbour. I I think they're really apparent. People are out in the streets protesting about them. And they are things like systemic racism, white supremacy, sexism, classism, homophobia, basically all these different ways in which our society does injustice to and oppression of and exploitation of minoritized people. These are the big, deep, structural, systematic pulls that are completely opposed to the kingdom of God. A kingdom built on love of neighbour has no place for any of these things. And they are rampant in our world at the moment. The pull of them is really, really strong. And I think sometimes it's easier to look at the things that don't require us to fix anything. It's easier to point the finger at smaller problems that aren't don't ask anything of us, whereas these ask something of all of us. And these go deep. And these are, these are hard, um, but I think they are really clearly the big dangers, the big pulls, the strong forces that threaten uh, to take us away from living more and more in the Kingdom of God. Um, just two uh, notes on those before I go on. Um, one, those things are systemic. And what I mean by that is uh, they're embedded in every part of how the world works, so much so that sometimes you might not see them. Um, And so you might be telling yourself, uh, obviously there's no racism here because nobody is using offensive language based on the colour of somebody's skin. Well, that's well and good, but these problems are much, much deeper than that. Uh, They're hard-coded into the way every part of our world is set up. Now I don't know if you're just nodding along and saying yeah of course that's really obvious or if that's something you need persuading of but like I said with the sky is blue thing it is it it is really obvious it doesn't take very long to see these things if you go and look. Uh, I don't have time to try and prove them all now but I would urge you to go and do some investigation for yourself six minutes of watching one Akala video on YouTube talking about systemic racism in Britain, you can't argue with it. The facts are so clear. Uh, You just need to look and you will see that it is everywhere. Uh, And the second thing is, so we're talking about this pull between the Kingdom of God and the Kingdom of the world and the way things are. And sometimes we can feel like well obviously i mean look i'm here in church on a sunday morning so i'm clearly in the kingdom of God side of this tussle not in the kingdom of the world thing um, but also please note church is not exempt church does not automatically equal the kingdom of god and actually if you look back at that list you'll see uh, that actually in lots of ways the church has shamefully caught up um, in perpetuating lots of these things and so just because we're in church, it doesn't mean that we're not in these these pulls that are taking us away from the kingdom of God. Um, So we don't get a free pass. And in fact, we we need to look more closely at ourselves to make sure that we are striving to do more and more uh, to live in the kingdom of God and resist the pull of these really strong forces. So, uh, if What we're looking at is living to please God, as opposed to living to please any of the other things that might be at the end of that sentence, including all those really strong forces that are opposed to the Kingdom of God that I just outlined. Uh, If we're engaged in this tussle between preparing to live more and more in the Kingdom of God, rather than perpetuating the way things are, the question for us is, how do we, together, as a church, as a collective, do more and more, like Paul urges us. How do we do more and more to prepare for the kingdom of God rather than perpetuating uh, the way things are? Um, And I just want to finish by suggesting a few questions that might help us kind of think about that. And what, what I'd like you to do, because it's one thing I know we've all got in common, because we're all here in church on a Sunday morning, let's think about church as an example I'd like you to pick one aspect of church life, a song you love, uh, activity that you do, uh, these services on a Sunday morning, some part of um, church life, just picture that in your head. And I want you to run it through the filter of these questions. We're gonna ask some questions about the difference between preparing for the kingdom of God versus perpetuating the systems of the world as they are. And I want you to think about that aspect of church life And run it through these questions and see what your honest answer would be. And let's think about what it would mean to do more and more to prepare rather than perpetuate. So I'm just going to run through these really, really quickly. For example, are we preparing each other for a world where the last are first? This is one thing we know about the kingdom of God the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. It's going to turn the expected order up on its head, uh, and those who Miss out now are going to be those who are lifted up when the kingdom of God is realised fully. We know that's what it's going to look like. So are we preparing each other more and more for a world that looks like that? Or actually, are we perpetuating a first shall we first mentality? Even though we know it's going to be a kingdom where the last shall be first, are we per- perpetuating the first shall we first mentality of the way things are at the moment? Maybe we put a churchy wrapper on it, but still, we're still putting those who are already winning and successful to the fore, and those who are forgotten about, overlooked, considered last, we're not bringing them out to the front as much as we could. Are we preparing each other for a world where the last are first? Or are we preparing each other for a world of radical inclusivity? This is another thing I think we know about the kingdom of God, is uh, all the people that you might least expect to be there uh, God throws the doors wide open uh the the people at the banquet at the feast um it is is open to everybody uh, and nobody is considered beyond the pale uh, so are we preparing each other for a world like that of radical inclusivity where everybody is welcome, or actually are there ways in which we're perpetuating? the current setup of the world of insiders and outsiders, of first-class citizens and second-class citizens, of um, the, the, special, the, the special few who get special treatment and the everybody else who gets left behind. And are we building that away, around a way that suits us, rather than looking to actively uh, include people who aren't like us, who aren't convenient to us, who seem more difficult to us. This is the radical inclusivity of the Kingdom of God. Are we preparing each other for that? Are we preparing each other to lose the advantages that some of us have so that oppressed people can be lifted up? We know that's going to happen in the Kingdom of God. We know the Kingdom of God is on the side of the oppressed and the marginalised, of of those who uh, society wants to cast aside Um, are we preparing each other uh, for that world? We know that the kingdom of God is going to be a world where those who have been oppressed are lifted up, where those who have been scorned are given the seats of honour. Are we preparing more and more? Are we getting used to the idea? Are we starting to inhabit that world now because we know it's going to come fully at some point? Are we doing more and more together to get ready uh, for that reality? Or actually, are we perpetuating the way the world is now with this imbalance of the haves and the have-nots, where some people have got tons more and others have got way less, where actually we quite like keeping it so that some people are pressed down so that others can be lifted up, where actually we need some people to be have-nots so that we can have more. Are we perpetuating that imbalance or are we pushing against it so that we can live more and more in the kingdom of God? Are we preparing each other for a kingdom where the voices that sound loudest are the ones that had been in the wilderness? Or actually, are we making sure that the voices that are heard the loudest are the ones that are already up the front? We could go on and on. There's so many different versions of these questions. You just need to look at what do we know about what the kingdom of God is going to be like? How can we prepare for that? What do we know about the way the world works? How does it want to perpetuate the control and the power that it uses, and how can we resist that? How can we prepare for the kingdom of God rather than perpetuate uh, the kingdom of self-interest? And so that, for me, is what uh, living to please God looks like. More and more preparation for the kingdom of God, less and less perpetuation of how things are now. Um, I'm conscious I'm pretty much out of time, so... uh, I'm going to leave it there and I'm just going to pray. I, I hope those questions are sort of ringing in your ears. And I really want this to be a, a challenge that we take on together. This is You can't do this on your own. This is hard stuff. Uh, it's really easy to perpetuate the way things are just by drifting into it. But preparing to live more and more in the kingdom of God takes constant work that we do together. So I really hope that we will find ways to, to encourage each other in that. And that's what I'm going to pray for. Father God, thank you that your kingdom is not the kingdom of this world, that your power works radically differently. Uh, Yeah, that we are preparing for a kingdom built on grace and love and mercy and inclusion and justice. And Lord, I hope that I pray that we would have open eyes to see those pulls in the world, the injustice and uh, the oppression that is not in line with your kingdom, that we would see it so that we would know how to stand against it, so that we could live more and more in your kingdom instead. In Jesus' name. Amen.